The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Speedsport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, Mike, competed in CART, the Champ Car World Series, and the IndyCar Series. I'll take you way back to 1990. He won the American Racing Series Championship. In 1991, competed in his first IndyCar event at Long Beach. Noticed by Roger Penske at midseason, he became a test driver for Penske Racing. 1992, started 11 races, many of them as a substitute driver for the injured Rick Mears. His first full year of IndyCar competition came in 1993, where he won five times. In 1994, finished on the podium in eight of the final 12 races, finished third in points, giving Penske a sweep 
of the top three with Al Unser Jr. winning the title and Emerson Fittipaldi second. In an IndyCar career that lasted through 2011, he would rack up a total of 31 wins, 74 podiums, and 25 polls. He was also an analyst for NBC Sports, which makes him a broadcast professional and currently a driver in the superstar racing experience, the SRX Racing Series. Welcome. The thrill from West Hill, Paul Tracy. Here's Mike Wallace. Paul Tracy, how we doing? Hey, buddy, how you been? It's been a long time since it, we've talked. It has been a very long time. And, uh, man, the coolest part about this show is I uh, I think I know everything about everybody, right? And then I see he's got a full page of and accomplishments. I could, I could have continued, I mean, because, like I said, went on through. Uh, we only covered really through 1994, and I mean, he had a ton of success through 2011. Then the NBC Sports stuff, and of course, we watched you, Paul, in that mud fest on Saturday night in the SRX series. How was that? Uh, well, I didn't have a very fun night. I, I, it was pretty fun. I, I, Mike, I saw your brother there, and I talked to your brother and got some tips <laughs> from him to how to get around get around that place because he's the he's the local expert, right? Yeah, so. he, he's one of the local heroes. As a, he moved back yeah. to that area, lives right up the street from there, and uh, yeah, and didn't been dirt racing all year long. So, uh, so yeah, so think? it start, it started out okay. Like I, you know, I was sitting there in the heat race, and. Uh, you know, just running along and trying not to run too close to guys because it was pretty wet. Mm -hmm. And I saw the temperature was starting to go up, up, up. And then I was trying to run on the very, very bottom of that track. And I don't know if you've done a lot of dirt racing, but I was just trying to stay out of everybody's, you know, out of the mud. Roost. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I didn't realize that Newman was on the high side and I was on the low side and I can't, you know, I was just sliding up the track to taking the line and we met at the exit and, you know, he hooked, hooked my back quarter panel and it like spit me into the wall and, uh, took the fender off and bent the toe, bent the toe out and shifted the rear end and knocked the back wing <laughs> off. And, and then it, then it over, then it overheated and, you know, it was just the whole thing went downhill from there. But in, in the main, it was just, it was carnage. It, at the end and i was able to just you know salvage an eighth place which is considering how bad the car was it's uh it was a miracle really yeah so how you know i was going to talk to you first about your career but let's just start with that srx series because it's been you know everybody's been regenerated if i call it that way or re-exposed in the last year and a half you've been a you know, you're mentioned on every broadcast, a, you know, the good guy, the bad guy. How are you enjoying running that SRX series? It seems it's, it's a great show on Saturday night. I can tell you that. Well, I, I really, I really enjoy it. Like I, you know, when I retired from racing in 2011, I retired after Dan Weldon got killed. And, uh, at that point in my career, Mike, I think you remember back in, oh, six, seven, eight, I was trying to dip my toe into the water of, of NASCAR and, uh, you know, Doug Barnett put some deals together for me to run in, in the Xfinity series. And, you know, you know, back then, I mean, there's good cars and, and, you know, bad cars and small teams and it's hard. It's super, super hard to compete in that sport. If you don't have the best equipment and sure. even the best, even the best teams can have, have a, you know, a bad run of cars and just not perform well. Right. You, you know that. And, Happens so, every year with multitude of different teams and multitude of different series. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I I continued on with my you know my IndyCar career and then this 
you know, the, the whole thing was split and then it came back together and, uh, the IRL and, and, and champ car. And, and then I was just never really got a full-time ride. My team owner, Jerry Forsyth quit the sport after that. And I was just kind of picking up rides here and there. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't in the, in top notch equipment anymore. So, you know, you know how that is. You, you're struggling around in the back and, you know, when you're running around in the in the middle and the back, the guys race you ten times harder back there than they do at the front. You know, and you're out I got, there. I got that experience. I know all about that. <laughs> yeah, you're out there trying killing yourself to you know run run in the middle of the pack, and these guys are running into in, into the wall. And so we had that race in Vegas, and you know Dan got killed, and and that was a bad deal. And 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 I I, I left the race after that, and my you know my parents called and my my wife at the time was like, well, you know, why are you doing this anymore? Like you, you don't need the money. You're not making any money doing it. You know, you're having to find the sponsorship to do it. And, uh, you know, it's just not worth the risk. And so I, you know, I reluctantly stopped racing at that point and, and I wasn't very happy about it. You know, it wasn't the way I wanted my career to end. I didn't want a 25 year career to end with my buddy getting killed and, you know, it was just a bad ending. So I was, I went through a period of time, Mike, where I was depressed and didn't know what to do. And my marriage fell apart and, and, uh, you know, it was probably one of the worst times in my, in my life really. And, and then the TV deal came along with, with NBC and, and, uh, I just kind of went into that and kind of forgot about driving anymore and, and, uh, did that for eight years with NBC I never thought in a million years that I'd be a TV broadcaster. If I, you know, I would never thought that would ever happen in my life. But I had a fun time doing that, and and then this SRX deal came along. Ray Ray Everingham, I've always been pretty friendly with Ray, and would see him at car shows and Bear Jackson, and I ran into him at Bear Jackson a couple years ago, and he said, "Hey, I got this." deal I'm working on uh we're gonna try to I'm gonna try to revive the I like the concept of the IROC series but do it with some guys that are retired that are big name guys and then would you be interested I said yeah I'm sure I would hell yeah you know <laughs> yeah so that's a capital H I, uh, on that one isn't it so I got out there last year it was it was really the first time Mike that I'd driven a car and in almost 10 years, I stopped in 11 and I didn't drive and I didn't drive anything from 2011 till last year. I mean, not even a go-kart at, at, at a rental track or anything. So, wow. That's um, big layoff. Just, and... Yeah. So yeah. I didn't realize once I got out there racing, obviously I was rusty and, you know, it took a little bit to get, get my racing, you know, chops under me again. But, you know, I, I didn't realize how much that I missed, the competition and the driving and and this is like the perfect thing for me because i just you know i'm getting to compete against guys that are you know we're amazing drivers everybody's a champion in this in this deal and and it's it's super fun and you know it's there's a lot of laughs and you know sometimes guys are pissed off at each other for, for hitting each other and wrecking each other but at the end of the day we're we're all out there having fun was that a reference to tony stewart <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I've, I've actually never. I haven't really raced against Tony all that much. You know, you, you know, I'm racing Mike when you're, when you're always kind of gravitate. There's, there's a, a certain driver that you always end up racing with. I, I do you know, know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you never, you never come across another guy because you just, you know, you, you know, for whatever reason, I haven't, I haven't really had to race Tony all that much. And when I have, I've just kind of passed him and he hasn't really given me too much of a hard time. So uh, the guy this year that I seem to be hooked to is, is Ryan Newman. We've we've hit each other about five or six times already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to laugh on Saturday night, and uh, Schrader, they interviewed Schrader. Yeah. Before the, he was on the podium. How yeah, about that? Yeah, and Schrader yeah. goes, well, you can certainly tell these guys don't own these cars, and it's not their full-time <laughs> job. <laughs> no, they drive. I mean, everybody drives super aggressive yeah. in this deal. Last year was last year was pretty aggressive, but this year it's really ramped ramped up. And you know, there's a there's a lot of money on the line for this. There's 300 grand to win the championship, and you know, 150 for second and 100 for third. So it's not like the old days where you know I've been talking to these NASCAR guys, and the old days were you guys would get called by a promoter and they'd say, Hey, you guys come up to this racetrack and put on a race. I'm going to pay you all the same and put on a show, mm-hmm. you know? So there's, there's no, you know, everybody's getting the same thing. Right. So now you stick a, you stick a big purse out there <laughs> and everybody's going to go for it. Right. So, <laughs> so the, Paul- the aggression, the aggression level this year is really ramped up. Well, you just shocked me. I, I didn't realize they were paying that type of money for the championship. I kind of just yeah. – uh, t- tell us – tell all our listeners a little bit about that because I think it adds a whole new dimension to it. Because I'll be honest with you, I you know, hell, I know Stuart, I know Everham, but we've never discussed how the, the structure – I thought everybody just kind of got paid the same and you went and raced. So uh, there's some no, incentives no. I mean, out there. Yeah, everybody's getting paid to, to drive. You know, you get a base base – per weekend deal and then you know there's a top three prize fund at the end and the winner is getting 300 grand so there's a big incentive to look for marco not only for for him to win this championship as an as an indy car guy in a stock car is, is a big deal for him but you know it's 300 grand 300 grand there's only one more race left correct and that's yeah, this, we have this a Saturday Sharon, night. Sharon Speedway Saturday night, which is Dave Dave Blaney's track. And now now you go and throw in uh Ryan Blaney, Dave Blaney, and, and Chase Elliott are, are coming. So I mean I mean there's a we got some big time superstars this weekend. That's awesome. So who's the in the points lead right now? So who stands, you know, in the catbirds Mar- Marco is. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Marco okay. Marco took the points lead. He's had uh you know, three second place finishes in a row in the main so he's you know got himself in the points lead bobby had a bad night he got crashed out at the very end of the race and ended up finishing last and that really hurt him in the points he went from first to fourth and so now the points is uh it's marco newman and tony so, are, are so, so now we've got must like, see tv saturday yeah night, no right? kidding i i mean <laughs> i'm i'm impressed i i did i seriously didn't know that it paid that for the championship i, didn't I thought That's it was cool a, yeah. i actually thought it was just a bragging rights trophy right <laughs> you know? no no uh-uh, no so, so that's why it's gotten that's why it's serious i mean okay it starts out as fun but you know how it is mike once you get out there and start competing it, you know you don't want to get beat by anybody even for last place you don't want to be last <laughs> yeah no right? kidding so, you know, like I, I run harder with with Michael Waltrip, you know, the first race, you know, I was 
I burned my tires off at Five Flags. It was super hot there, and, and I, you know, it was my first time back in the car in a year, and I told myself for a year, take care of the tires, go easy on the tires, go, and I burned them off. And uh, I was 11th, and, and, and Michael was 12th, and he, two laps to go, he just drives it in and door slams me and knocks me out of the way for her last place and i was like you sop <laughs> and uh and i got back to i got back to him on the last lap last corner and did the same thing to, to him back i mean you just we you had know, a hell of a race hate, for last right Payback. Yeah, you, hate going, you hate going away from the track even though there's only 12 guys and all these 12 guys are like you know they're all champions and they're all like great drivers and but you don't want to go home last, right? <laughs> I think that's excellent, man. I love the, the retaliation side. But I love to hear about the SRX thing. I mean, that's just that's a little bit of just taught me a lot about what's going on, and I'm happy that you're part of it because you're a champion and you're, man, you're the man. So how about if we take a break? Let's hold it right there, and we're going to come back, and we're going to start a little bit more early in your career, how you got to where you're at. Okay. It sounds good. We're talking a long-time IndyCar Series driver, Paul Tracy. You're listening to Fast Car and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by RacePass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car and NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, PT, Paul Tracy. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Paul, you caught us up with kind of what you've been doing as of recent, but the whole world really wants to know, who was Paul Tracy back in the day? Where did you even come from? And where did your first interest in motorsports start? Uh, well, I was born in Toronto, in Canada, and uh, my dad was a you know moved to Canada from from Ireland with my mom in the in sixty seven or eight, and I was born in sixty nine, and uh, my dad was had a construction company, and uh, my dad was always a car guy. He he always had cool cars. He as, as as long as I could remember, he was he he you know he'd had a he liked to drive a Rolls Royce and he he had a Jaguar E Type and and he was just uh, into racing and I started out um, with a mini bike when I was about four and uh, <laughs> you remember you know those you know those things that happen in a kid, when you're a kid and you never forget it sure yeah. I, uh, I, I had a friend over to the house and, and I, I went in the garage and it was like, you know, one of those mini bikes that had like, you know, it, it had a little Briggs and Stratton motor in it. And when you press the brake, it was like a metal flap that went on the back tire. <laughs> just just, just that was exactly what you're talking right. about. Uh, no. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, it wasn't like a dirt bike or anything, right? It was just like this mini bike, right? So it was leaned up against the wall and on the throttle and I pulled, you know, I went to start it and I pulled the starter and it took off across the room because the throttle was hung open and it ran into the garage door and smashed the garage door and my my mom came out of the house and like was super mad and gave gave me a whack and then the, then the mini bike was gone right i got it was taken away and uh over one simple a, crash yeah, <laughs> a, and, a, and a busted garage door right so yeah. A couple of couple weeks later, my dad came home with a go kart, and 
funny story is he, he bought the go-kart in Toronto. There was a go-kart shop, which was the only one in Toronto, which was owned by Scott Goodyear's dad. It was called Goodyear's Kart Center or something like that. So uh, we got our first go-kart from Scott Goodyear, his his dad, and, and we went out to the track and, you know, uh, entered the race. And, and uh, you know, I won my first race in the beginner class and in the juniors, you know, when I was like five years old. So, and then that was all. That was it. That's that was all I wanted to do after that. So, on that note, I uh, of course, when I know I'm going to talk to somebody, I try to reach out to different people that I know that might know them, mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, you got any stories? You got anything I can, <laughs> you know, that one Some that dirt." Got... So, you talking about some of your first racing uh, there in Toronto or that area, and uh, your go kart. But I understand that you, you maybe the first few times or all the times you went go-kart racing early in your career, you had a, a unique way of getting the car or the cart to the racetrack. It wasn't a typical pickup truck or a trailer, I understand. Is there any truth to this story? Well, yeah, I told you. My dad always liked, you know, nice cars. So my dad would drive a Rolls Royce and we would he would we would literally stick the go-kart in the, in the trunk of the Rolls. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> You know, my dad worked hard and, you know, had, had his construction company and was making, he, he's just loves, he, he's a car lover. So he loves old English cars. And he, my dad had all the, all the stuff. He had Rolls's, Jaguars, Austin Healy's, you know, all that kind of old English, old English stuff. But his, his favorite car to this day, my dad's 90, 92 now, and he drives around in a, in a seventies, you know, Rolls Royce still. Yeah, a buddy of mine told me, I says, hey, I'm going to have Paul Tracy on. He goes, oh, let me tell you this story. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, you're one of the go-kart drivers. You know, you got your dad out there, whatever. You're working on the cart, getting it ready, right? You're getting ready. You're down in the uh, in the pit area or whatever, and here comes a Rolls Royce <laughs> with a go-kart yeah, with in the, the trunk. The fun, Who are these is, guys? You know, the, the, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, those were expensive cars back in the 70s for, at the time, you know. Sure. You know, and. And you got a go kart sticking out the back, and the gas can, and a spare motor, and on the back seat of it. Oh, know, that's what I think is the funniest part of the whole thing. <laughs> spare sprockets on the floor on the on the on the on the back seat. You know, it's like, you know, that's this is the way we roll. <laughs> <laughs> then you roll out and win the race. So yeah. It's looking really All good. Right. So, nobody laughing anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> so you, you guys roll in with a Rolls Royce, golf cart in the back. You win your first go out at five years old. And then that just continued? You and dad continued to go racing? Or how did it progress from there? Well, I mean, it's a short season in Canada because, you, you know, because of the winters there. So, you know, you've only got about four, five months of racing. And, uh, you know, I played hockey in the winter. And, uh, you know, so in the summer we raced and, and then, uh, you know, as it progressed, I just started, you know, moving up as a junior, you know, dominating our local cart club. And then one day, the, the, the guy who owned the track was a guy named, uh, uh, Tom Clark and his son, his son's name was Tim Clark or Jim Clark. And his, his youngest son who I raced against was Timmy Clark. And I would be winning a race and his son would be second behind me and like this one summer every time i was coming down to the end of the race i'd get the meatball flag from from his the oldest son was the flagman right so the meatball flag is hey something's wrong with your go-kart you gotta come in pits right (laughs) 
so this this went on for I think four or five weeks in a row. I'd be you know be I'd be winning the race and we're coming down to the end of the race and I'm first and the owner's son is second and and the owner's other son is the flagman and I get the black flag come in the pits or something wrong with your with your cart. And uh, my dad told me that after like five weeks of this, my dad was like, okay, listen, if that guy gives you the meatball flag again, just keep going. Don't come <laughs> in, right? So I'm leading the race, and I'm going around, and I here because the meatball flag comes out. And I, I, I look over my shoulder, and I see my dad come, walking across the track. Like I'm going around the track, and I can see my dad you know, going across the track to the flagman. And I come by the flagman. And, uh, you know, they're standing nose to nose. <laughs> and then I come around again and the flagman's now on his, on his hands and knees crawling away. And my dad's giving him a kick in the rear end. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad punched, got in an argument with the, with the owner's son, uh, punched, punched him, knocked him down. And we, after that, we weren't allowed to come back to the track anymore. <laughs> of kicked, course, kicked out of that, kicked <laughs> out of that track. So we had to move on to a. Luckily for us, there was another go kart track, uh, not a, you know the same distance away. It was only you know 30, 40 minutes from our house. So we moved on to another club, but they didn't have a junior class there. They only ran seniors, and I was only like uh, thir- 12 or 13 at the time. And my dad talked the owner of the, that track into letting me run with the seniors at that track. And so now I'm racing against men. You know, the, the, the hot guy at this track is was a guy named Crazy Tony. <laughs> and this, this guy was an Italian an Italian guy, and he had a he was already bald, and he had a, a mustache and beard, and he had like five kids already. <laughs> so my dad I said to my dad, I mean, you know, I'm tw- I'm like 13 years old, and you know, I'm just a little kid, and now and I said to my dad one day, I qualified and Crazy Tony was first and I was second. And I said to my dad, the first race we did there, I said, how am I going to beat this guy? He's like, you know, he's he's your age. you know. <laughs> and my dad was like, my dad said, listen, you just go into the first corner and hold it wide open and go around the outside and he'll lift. And I said, well, why? Why would he lift? He said, he's got a... He's got a mortgage, he's got car payments, <laughs> and he's got five kids, and he's got a job to go to on Monday. So trust me, he'll lift. <laughs> so, that's what I did. I went in the corner side by side with him and, and held it wide open, and, and he lifted off. Wow. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sure. I'm sure, Mike. You got these kind of advice from your from your brothers or your dad, right? Yeah. No, I love it because Dad was into it. He doesn't had the strategy figured out. He's <laughs> yeah, like, right. yeah. I was thinking there was going to be some story that the kid, you guys, got together and the old guy, and then got this little kid, and he can't punch him because he's a little kid, you know. <laughs> so, so your career, I assume, it just keeps escalating at that point. Then it keeps keeps going forward. Your dad still likes racing at that point, right? Yeah, it came to a point then where I was getting the go kart racing was getting more, more serious now. Like, so I started racing, you know, like international events as a junior, world championship events, and going to Europe and going to Australia and things like that. So the go kart racing got a lot more serious. And then the hockey was, it was, you know, I wasn't a very good hockey player. I was average. I was never going to make it to the to the NHL or anything. So my parents, my dad came to me and said, "Hey, I." 
you got this invite to go to New Zealand for two months and race with Scott Pruitt and a guy named Lynn Haddock. You know, these you know, these were guys, big time go kart racing guys, mm-hmm. and it was an invitational. It was all paid for, but I had to quit playing hockey because I'd be gone for a month. And I said, "Well, I'll, I'd rather do that than than play hockey." Our team stunk, and I was a goalie mm-hmm. at the time, and and uh, you know, so I got the blame for every time we lost. I let all the goals in, right? So <laughs> I just decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm, I want to go to this race, and and then uh, you know. I, you know, that was 14, 15, and then I turned six, 16 and started racing cars after that. So help me understand, and I'm trying to educate myself and all the fans that are listening around the world. How does someone get invited to an international event? I've, uh, I've been intrigued by that. I actually read something the other day where Kevin Harvick's son raced over in Italy in the last month or something on a go-kart. How, how do you come from, whether it's Canada or the U.S., and, and get even well, go I mean, to Italy the, or New Zealand or Australia. How's that even? Yeah, happen? I mean, at the time I was like Canadian champion in go karting in, in, okay. in my class, right? Okay. So I was had won a bunch of Canadian championships and had done some racing in the states and in like you know WKA events and things like that. So I've been winning races all all over the place and was pretty pretty well known. So you know you can't just if you go to Europe and race in a, in a world championship event, you have to. You know, you kind of qualify to get get into those races. You can't just show up and you know race. So, okay. you know, so I, uh, you know, like when once you once you've won a bunch of you know big major events, then you get invited to other you know these other events. You know. Okay, I just I you know I've heard that over the you know different drivers are such and such karting champion in this country and that, and it's like. How the heck do you even get to go to those places? You know, yeah, right. I've never understood it. So as you uh, proceeded through your go- your go kart career, you were a champion, and you went to international karting championships. Where did the transition from go karts? Did it happen instantaneously? Like you shut the go karts off one day and got into cars? And what was the first car you drove at that point? Uh, a four wheel car. Well, my dad was a my dad was a real forward thinker so i was still racing go-karts at you know you know 13 14 15 and you couldn't race uh cars until you're 60 so at 15 years old my dad bought our first formula car it was a i was going to race formula fords when i was uh 16 and the formula ford is is an open wheel car with a with a four-cylinder 1600 cc ford motor in it so my dad bought a car from another guy you you would know is ron fellows we had ron on our show a while back yeah so ron ron was a struggling open wheel driver uh he had this formula ford 2000 car which was a uh, a winged open wheel car with a two liter ford motor in it so my dad my dad's thought process was okay uh ron he met ron and ron was struggling for money and had you know you know his career was kind of stalling out and he he wasn't he was super tall and so you know racing in open wheel cars he really he realized he really wasn't going to go anywhere in this and decided to sell this this formula ford 2000 car that he had so my dad bought it off of him when i was like 15 and then ron used that money to start racing in a uh, in a Camaro in a show like a, it was like a Camaro series they they had up in Canada it was like 40 or 50 cars in it and it was like these they raced Camaros and, and Pontiac Firebirds so they're all street stock cars right 
And that's how his sports car career took off from there. He he won the championship in this in this Camaro series, and then you know got a deal with GM and was you know was developing cars for GM, and then that led into the Corvette deal, and then, and then off his career went right. So, so um, he he could contribute bought, that to your dad buying the car then. Well, I, I don't know if my dad's <laughs> responsible, but it's it's funny how it's funny how like. You know, the people that I've raced against and, and the people that we know, just the, the history of it that a lot of people would know. Like my first go-kart was from Scott Goodyear. Scott Goodyear was a great IndyCar driver. And I actually, the first racing school that I went to for, for cars was the Scott Goodyear School of Motor Racing that he had. And then, you know, my first race car we bought from Ron Fellows. And there's just all these, you know, weird little things in life, you know. Yeah, well, hold you know, that where, thought. Where people went. Paul, hold that thought. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back, and let's pick it up right from there. It's kind of like a major step into formula racing after karting. We're talking to Paul Tracy, and you're listening to Fast Kart and NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. The one and only Paul Tracy. Let's go back through his career once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Paul, we were just talking about the different uh, people that kind of are famous in the sport that you grew up, whether getting a car from, getting a go-kart from, something of that nature as your your career progressed. I do have to jump somewhere where I don't know where this fits in your career, but I always love nicknames. And, you know, a lot of people have always known you as PT, and I always go, well, that's, that's simple. That's Paul Tracy, right. you know? Yeah. But where's the thrill from West Hill come, <laughs> come at? Because anything you look up for you, it says it gives PT and the thrill of West Hill, or thrill from West Hill. I don't remember who gave me that nickname, but it just kind of stuck. I think so, somebody on TV did it. It might have been Derek Daly called me that one one time on on air when he was when he was doing the pit reporting back in the beginning of my career when I when I was with Penske. I think he might have said something that like he's the thrill from West Hill or something like that, and it just stuck after that. Sounds and, like know, a it wasn't TV like guy. I, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't like I made it up or. You know, somebody, it was, it wasn't my nickname when I was a kid and, and, you know, but somewhere along the line, it, 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 somebody said it and that's, it just continued. So did you live somewhere called West Hill or anything like that? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's where the neighborhood that I grew up, I grew up in. So I lived in a suburb of Toronto and the suburb area that I was in was, was West, was called West Hill. All right. Well, that's cool. When you have a nickname, you know you've made it. I figured it was something like that. The the thrill from West Hill. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't call the names I've been called. You look up Mike Wallace and Wikipedia, and the news guy from 60 Minutes comes up. Yeah, real nice. (laughs) Well, Well, I get get mistaken for uh, for, uh, Todd Bodine all the time, so I guess it's better than the being called the onion that right? there, <laughs> there you go i like the thrill from west hill yeah, I think yeah. that's cooler than hell i read that a couple of times and i went but i didn't search out where it come from and it, because it's okay so the thrill from west hill used to race a go-kart that was brought in in the back seat trunk of his dad's of rolls, rolls royce. royce this is de- outstanding <laughs> i mean it's beautiful all right so we'll go, we'll jump back up to the Formula 2000 car. You're, that was your first entry. Your dad bought that from Ron Fellows, and then where do you go from there, Paul? Yeah. Well, I was I wasn't old enough to race it, so my dad was a was a very convincing <clears throat> convincing guy. So he he went out to Mosport, the racetrack, 
and he went out there and he said, uh, my, my dad had a painting business, painting and construction business. And he says to the owner of the track at the time, that you know, the, the tower at Mostport, have you ever been to Mostport? I have not before? heard about it forever, yeah, so but Most, never been there. Yeah. Mostport was, had this old concrete tower and the paint was on, it was all kind of, you know, from the winters, the paint was all peeling off and looked like crap. And so my dad call goes up to the track and he, he gets a hold of the owner and he says to the owner, he says, Hey, I'll paint that mm -hmm. tower for you. If you let my kid practice, uh, you know, for free. And the guy was like, yeah, no problem. And he's like, well, how old is your kid? And he's like, well, my kid's 15. He goes, well, he's not old enough. He goes, well, I'll sign them. My dad said, I'll sign a waiver that, you know, if something happens, it's, it's fine. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, most port is a big, fast, you know, daunting track. I mean, mm -hmm. all super high speed corners. So I, you know, at 15 years old, you know, I started, we started going out there and practicing and getting ready in a faster car than what I was going to be racing. You know, once I went, once I turned 16, I was, I was already in a winged car that I, then we stepped back into a, into a slower car. So I was already up to speed with going faster and, you know, than than what I was going to race when I turned 16, which was probably, I think probably a good plan, you know? Yeah. It worked. It sounds like it worked out well. How, when you guys had that or had that car and you were doing that testing, did, was it just you and dad working on the car or did you have guys that were helping you or paid to help you or friends? Coming no, out no or? It, was just, it was just me and my dad. And we did, I don't, I don't remember us ever really even doing anything to car. We, you know, we got, got the car from Ron and it had a setup on it. And I don't think we even touched it. We just put tires on it and put gas in it and went out and I would go out and run for, you know, 20 laps. And then we, we'd go home, you know, and then come back the next week and do it again. And, you know, well, that's great. Great. Uh, so did you just kind of figure it out as you went then? As far as like, okay, I didn't get into that turn just right. My entry needs to be lower or higher or whatever. I mean, are those things that you just learned as you went? Uh, I mean, I've never really thought about it that way, but I, I guess I've never really had an issue with driving uh, over the limit or going too fast, you know? So my, my, my issue is always trying to pull back a little bit, you know, and, so, you know, get doing fast lap times for me when I was growing up was never, never, you know, I never had to, you know, figure anything out. It just kind of came naturally. I'm going to jump a little story here. And again, you talk to people and I, and Paul, you correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, Jeff. So you just ask, how did he learn that? Yeah. So whenever, when we haven't got to this point in his career, but this fits perfectly, I was up in a suite, uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway in Walt, Walt Zarnicki from Penske mm -hmm. Racing and I were sitting there talking. And they had just hired Paul to drive their race car. Right. And, you know, it's uh, my brother, Rusty, drove for Penske, so you kind of have an open conversation. And when Paul just said he never had a problem with speed, I says, Walt, why? And there was something, you know, maybe you had a – earlier in your career you had a crash or two. I don't know. And he goes – he says, the one great thing about Paul Tracy, and this was just a huge compliment to you. So he goes, Paul Tracy's like the young kid from the farm that throws a baseball 100 mile an hour, <laughs> right? He throws, he throws it against the barn, but you have no idea where it's going to hit. Right. He says, and we feel and hope we're going to pull that, <laughs> narrow in that zone, and he's going to be so damn fast, it's unbelievable. So I thought it was a really cool complimentary statement back however many years ago that was.
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got a great, I mean, I got a great opportunity, you know, at a young age when, when I signed with, with Penske and, you know, my first indie car, you know, I, I drove for Dale Coyne the first time, uh, my dad rented, rented the car from him for Long Beach. I'd won the Indy Lights championship and then got an opportunity to test with the Budweiser True Sports team. And that test went, went really well. And, and, uh, True Sports wanted me to drive for them. But at the time I was only 20 years old and, and, uh, Budweiser said, no, no, we can't have a, you know, we can't have a 20 year old driving up. A 21 year old car. She's not even old enough to drink. Right. So, you know, I, we, then I did my first Indy car race and my dad rented the car. You know, we basically paid to pay to drive with Dale Coyne and you know, that I did well in practice and was fast in practice and, and qualified well. And then the engine blew up in the race. And that was, that was it that, you know, we, that was all the money we had. And, you know, the IndyCar racing was expensive at that, you know, like it is today. And, uh, my dad, we didn't, my dad made good money and drove a Rolls Royce an old Rolls Royce, but he didn't have the kind of money to fund an IndyCar program, you know, and, and we didn't have any sponsors out of Canada that could, could afford to do that. And, and then all of a sudden the, the phone rings and it's, it's Penske. And he says, I, I want you to come to my office and, he said to me, sign this contract or, or I've got a, another guy sitting in a hotel that is going to sign it. And you're going to basically be my test driver. You know, Rick Mears and Emerson are got a lot of commitments with sponsors and traveling and, and we test all the time. And, and, you know, at the time Penske was built, they were building their own motors and building their own race cars and building their own gearboxes and reliability was was an issue of of getting through races you know drivers had to take care of the equipment to get them to finish races and you know the racing was going through a transition point where rely they wanted the reliability to get better so basically what roger did with me was i was in the car two three days a week every week testing somewhere we were at nazareth or michigan or we're you know wherever mid-ohio I, te- you know, it was literally testing three days a week somewhere and just go out there and, and pound around as fast as you can possibly go and, and beat on the equipment. Because if, I remember my crew chief said to somebody, he said, listen, if this, if this car can withstand Paul driving it, then it, then it's going to last gonna for break. anybody. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, we were developing a sequential gearbox back in those days, back in like night, you know, in the early nineties. And, you know, that's was all new technology then. And it was, you know, you, you know how it is, Mike, you know, you, you get a new gearbox in a, in a stock car and it's supposed to be the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then the next thing you know, it's stuck in gear and you can't shift anymore. Right. So, um, you know, we were out there, like I said, pounding around, just beating on the motor and, beating on the gearbox and just running it as hard as it would go, you know, like anything wheel bearings could fail or this could fail or that could fail when you're building your own stuff. Yeah. So they, you know, Rick and Emerson just didn't have the time. But, uh, but at that, that whole that would, time, that would, that would wear, that would wear a driver out, you know, like if you were having to do all the races and then test three days a week, I mean, you, you'd wear the driver out, right? Your, your, yeah. your main driver. But so, so what the good part of that was for you, though, you were logging laps every week, a lot of laps, right? You were, yeah. I mean, you were learning, I would assume you were learning a lot. 
Uh, or, or at that time, if you were young, you knew everything already, but you just yeah, got to log more laps. <laughs> All you got to do is go fast. Was, what the hell? Yeah. There, was mu- there was multiple years when I was with Penske where I did, uh, you know, 100 days of testing or more a year. Wow. You know? That's, that's, that's incredible to hear that story. So I need to back up just a second to keep everybody in tune to your career. So after your dad uh, – rented a car or sponsored the car for you at Long Beach. And I think, how long was it from that race to where you got a call from Penske? Was that quickly? Well, I, I, I got it. I, well, I got called, I got called to uh, Penske's trailer at Long Beach after the race. I was sitting, uh, you know, I was went out for the race at Long Beach and, uh, you know, early in the race, I think a water pipe broke on the car and I, I lost all the water and, you know, the motor shut, you know, I had to shut the motor off cause it overheated. And then I was, I was walking back to the pits and ran into a friend of mine that I raced against in Indy lights. And we were sitting, sitting on the curb in the, in the, uh, infield at long beach. And I was just talking to him. I, he was like, what are you going to do now? And I don't know, we don't have any more money. And Dan Luganbuehl, you probably know I, Dan. Luganbuehl. I do know Dan. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan Luganbuehl comes by on a scooter and he stops and he looks at me and he says, hey, uh, Roger wants to talk to you after the race is over. Come over to our, our hauler. And I was like, oh, okay. I, and I said to my buddy, I wonder if I did something wrong on the track or I, you know, put, put water down on the track in front of Rick Mears or Emerson <laughs> Fittipaldi or something. Maybe, why would he want to see me, right? So I I, uh, I come over to the trailer after the race and I go in, in the hauler and, and Roger says, "Hey, you did a really good job this weekend. Pretty impressive. What's what? What are you going to do next?" I said, "Oh, uh, I want. I told him I want to run the Indy 500. We're trying to find a sponsor to run the 500 with Dale. But you know, he goes, well, he said, hold tight, go home, and I'll wait for me to call you. <laughs> so I went home and I told my dad." this and now let me ask you the real emotions at that point as soon as you walked out of his trailer what is your personal feeling you just got told by roger penske hey just go home hang tight i'll was were you excited confused all of the above or uh i mean i really didn't know what to think okay like i you know i we still continued to try to find sponsor a sponsor to get us out on track we all you know ultimately we didn't find it and the phone didn't ring the next day, the next week. I mean, this was, uh, this was in, in, in March at Long Beach and we didn't get a phone call till the day, the, the night after qualifying was done for the, for the Indy 500 in May. Oh my gosh. So that was a, a long time. A couple, of, a couple of months went by. Right. So we were trying to find the money and, you know, the phone never rang the next day. It never rang the next week. It didn't ring a month later. So, you know, we just, okay nothing's happening here. We, we've got to continue to try to find a sponsor. And we, you know, we, we didn't, and we were sitting at home one night, you know, and qualifying, it just happened at Indy and, and the phone rings and, and my dad answers the phone and he says, it's Roger Penske just called and says he wants us to drive to, De- to Detroit tonight and meet him at his office at Detroit diesel at that like midnight. <laughs> so this, I mean, crazy, this, was quali- this was like qualifying's over at India at six o'clock. The qualifying uh, gun goes off, right? Mm-hmm. The phone rings. The phone rings at like 
7 o'clock, and it's Roger Penske, and he says, I want you to get in your car right now and drive to Detroit and meet me at Detroit. I'm, I'm just leaving the track, and I, I got to go do some work in my office, and I want you to come there. Yeah, so you got you got to hold that thought for me. We that almost sounds a like for... a deal you'd hear about on The Sopranos. Yeah, or something. meet me so, in my office at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna come back for the final segment. Right, we got to pick up right there. We're talking to Paul Tracy. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Once again, the thrill from West Hill. We're talking to Paul Tracy, and here's Mike Wallace. Well, Paul, you got us in suspense now. As Jeff says, yep. kind of like a Sopranos movie here. You're going <laughs> to. So you get a call from Roger Penske and says, Meet me. Or your dad answers phone. Hey, you guys meet me in Detroit. At midnight, tell us how that worked. That was that's cool. Well, we got in our got in our car, and you know my my dad's rolls rolls right, and, okay, and, <laughs> and drove to drove to Detroit, and we showed up at you know midnight and Detroit Diesel, and we drive up to the gate, and the, there's a security guy at the gate, and he says we're here to see Rod Penske. Our name's you know Tony Tracy, and he's like, oh yeah, he's waiting for you, and just go in here and go left, go right. So we get there and. Uh, go in his office and we 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 go in his boardroom and it's it's Roger and Walt and Dan Luganbuehl and they basically said hey uh, we want you to Roger said I want you to be our test driver this is what you're going to do you're going to be testing and uh, I'm not going to we want to maybe run you in a race but I'm not going to commit to anything right now and uh, you know you're going to start testing next week sign this contract right right now because if you don't want to sign it and my dad said well can we can we read the contract or have a lawyer look at it and my guy roger was like nope you guys just sign right now or <laughs> i got a guy i got another driver who was uh, mike groff was waiting in a hotel to sign it as well so uh, we signed the contract and it was a five-year deal and uh you know right after the indy 500 that that weekend uh, you know Monday, Monday I was at Mid Ohio testing with with uh, with Emerson at Mid Ohio, and you know I I had already tested there in an Indy car with True Sports, so I already knew the track and I'd won an Indy Lights at Mid Ohio, and I knew you know it was one of my favorite tracks. And my first test in in the car, I was you know quite you know quite a bit quicker than Emerson, and and they were like, whoa, yeah, wait a minute here. So. Uh, my my race program quickly ramped up like i did a couple tests and was you know was was really quick and they said okay now we're gonna we're gonna we took they took me to michigan and i was fast at michigan and then roger said okay we're gonna race you at michigan in august so i signed and signed in the end of may and did a whole bunch of testing at michigan and nazareth and mid ohio and elkhart and then they said okay we're gonna race you at uh at the Michigan 500 was going to be my first race. And I, uh, I qualified like my first race. I, I was in a year old car and I qualified like seventh or eighth. And I remember this is another one of these things that you never forget. <laughs> and I'm before the start, Roger says to me, listen, I don't want you passing anybody. I don't want you making any moves until a hundred miles to go. I just want you to sit there and ride and do nothing. 
and uh, the race starts, and uh, I come off a of turn four, my second lap, and I'm tucked up right behind Scott Brayton, and I'm going to pass him, and I, you know, drafted up on him. I'd done a whole bunch of testing at, on a super speedway and gone gone to test at Indy and done all this stuff, but I hadn't been on a track with anybody yet, you know? So um, I'd been out running around by myself the whole time, and I drafted up on Scott Brayton, and the rear got loose on me, and it started sliding, and I corrected it, and then it, it caught and snapped back, and I hit the wall head on and broke my leg in my first race. Oh, hell, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so that screwed lap, up that ride part two. <laughs> yeah, on lap two, I break my leg. Oh wow! So that's it. I think my, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a busted leg and a concussion. There's no, you know, no safer barriers back then, and there's no headrest pads. And you had a strap on your neck for, for you know, to hold your head in place, and concrete walls, and so I'm laying in the hospital, and nobody comes from the team. And uh, Roger calls my – the next day I have surgery. At Terry Trammell, he put a rod in my leg, and I think I'm done, right? You know, I think they're going to fire me. It's over. All right, so the next day Roger calls, and Terry Trammell's in the office. I'm in the, in this, in the hospital, and he calls on the hospital phone line, and, and – uh, Terry trammeled the doctors talking to him and he says, yeah, he should be, you know, I got to put a rod in his leg and, and, uh, you know, how long is it going to take to heal? So, well, he should be able to be on crutches and, you know, five to six weeks, mm. blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, he hands the phone to me and Roger says, okay, you're going to stay there in Indianapolis and you're going to go to this rehab therapy, you know, physical therapy place. And, uh, you're going to be testing in five, five weeks if, Trammell says it's okay. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I stayed at this, stayed at this, you know, uh, hotel in, uh, in Indianapolis and went to this therapy place for like five hours a day. And they had me working out and, you know, doing all this kind of upper body work. And, you know, I couldn't really do anything with my legs. So they, um, got the cast off and I, I was, you know, basically on crutches, I got a, I got a rod from my knee to my ankle in, in the bone in the, in the tibia, and five weeks, five and a half weeks later, we're going testing, and we the where's the first place we go? We go back to Michigan, and I have to complete a 500 mile test. I got to do a 500 mile engine durability test, and there's a big giant mark on the wall where I crashed, <laughs> yeah. and, my, and my and my tuck. And, my, and the tub of my race car smashed to bits in the front, in the garage, ne next to where we pit, right? So, and now, and now, and they're like, okay, you know, we got to do 500 miles that you didn't that you didn't finish when you're supposed to race here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They couldn't even paint the marks <laughs> off the wall. Come on. No. Huh? <laughs> so I was scared. I was scared to death, Mike. Like I went out the first few laps, and they're like, I was like crapping myself i was scared yeah. you know and then i you know i they'd send you out they say okay you can do a 30 lap run you know a full full tank of fuel and i went out i mean it literally took me you know laps the to first get back 30 to laps speed, to huh? get back up to speed because i was so scared you know not to crash you know so hey I, I i'm making myself notes as i've been scribbling along here and i think it's only right to go back for a second because 
we jump way past it. When you won the Indy Lights Championship, who were who were you driving for there? Or was that your own car? Or uh, I was driving for a guy named Brian Stewart, who was uh, he was an Indy Lights team owner for a long time. He won many many championships in, in lights, and he was a Canadian guy, and uh, we knew him from my Formula Ford and Formula 2000 days. He he had teams and ran guys and was always always put competitive cars on the track. So, um, you know that was my that was their first championship in Indy Lights that I won with them, and after that they won they won many many championships in the lights category great we just i love giving the propos or what do you call that prompts to uh people that help props. people yeah props. props yeah so we got to the indy car where you back to michigan you had to run a 500 mile test after you broke your leg or first thing back and what goes on from there i assume you got over your fear halfway through the test at least and uh yeah you know you Oh, did the car last the 500 laps you were or 500 miles you were supposed to yep yeah no i continued continued to do a lot of testing and then uh, they decided at the end of the year they were going to run me at the last two races in nazareth and laguna seca in in a, in a year old car again and uh you know i went out in nazareth again and and they said uh same thing don't pass anybody we just want you to ride around and uh, I qualified really well, and you know I think I was in the top top eight in qualifying, and uh, I had a great race. I mean, I remember Rick and Rick and Emerson were right up front in qualifying, and then their car, their handling went bad on their cars, and they I lapped I lapped them a couple times, you know. And they uh, I think Rick retired the car because the handling was so bad he he stopped, and I was in the year old car, and. Uh, I think I finished like fourth or fifth in in my uh, first, in my second race back, and then uh, everybody was super happy about that. But Roger was not happy because you know Rick and Emerson didn't run well at all. Like I lapped them a couple times, and they they didn't finish in the points. And and what happens after the race? They have this big team meeting, and they said, "Okay, well, Ro Roger says, okay, well." we're staying here to test on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to figure out why these, why these cars didn't handle. So, you know, I just had this race and then the next day I'm, you know, testing and, you know, running hundreds of laps for three days after, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But I, but that's how, that's how Roger was, you know, you know, when your brother drove for him, he, he'll do whatever it takes to, to, to win, you know, and he's going to spend whatever it takes. Yeah, well, that's cool. At least that was an opportunity there. So, because we're we're running out of time way faster than I thought we would. Right. What uh, after the Penske program goes? I mean, you you're there for a few years, and like every other driver, crew chief, business, there's something comes along and goes. We don't need you anymore. It's just business, right? I mean, and then then you you move on, or what do you do at that point? Well, I drove for Roger for that five years, and I was I had this really you know tight contract and you know my contract with him was like uh you know the first year i got paid 25 grand and the next year i was 50 and then it was 75 and it was 100 but by the by the third year into my contract i was making like 75 grand a year and i was now racing full-time for roger because rick had retired so 93 was my first full year driving and i won five races in 93 and and finished third in the championship and really probably could have won the championship if i hadn't thrown away i threw away 
three wins with crashes the, leading the race. So after 93... Hey, hold it for a second. When you, you say that, you threw them away. What does that mean? What, what do you think? Well, I was, le- I was leading Phoenix race, you know, by two laps. I had a two-lap lead over, uh, over Mario Andretti. And I was just, it was like one of those days, Mike, where you're just in the zone. And I was going by guys like, I was going three wide, four wide, passing, passing cars and going inside and outside and just, just, and I, I, I had a two lap lead and they came on the radio and said, all right, look, slow down. You don't need to go this fast. Just, you know, bring it home. And then I, I just, you know, you, you go, you know, you get out of the zone Hmm. and I went down the inside of a car and instead of just following through, I backed off going into turn one and the car, you know, turned down to make the corner. Normally I would, I would have just kept on trucking right through, but I backed off and slowed down and I lost the rear of the car and put it in the wall turn one with a two lap lead, you know? So just one of those that's one of those a, things. You know, that, I made, that, I made that would be some thrown mistakes away. like that. It's one of them racing yeah, deals. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, same at Milwaukee. I was leading. I was leading Milwaukee, and there was, a, you know, it wasn't really my fault, but there was a car crash in front of me, and uh, somebody went in the wall, and then it all stacked up, and you know, so it was like three races where where I was I was leading and and didn't finish the race, and so, um, my dad went back to Roger and said, uh, "Hey, you know, Paul's doing really good." You know, I think we can get a raise because at the time it was big money in, in racing in the nineties. You had all the cigarette sponsors and you know, guys were making three, four million dollars a year. <laughs> I was I was when I won five races and competing for the championship and I was making seventy five grand. That so my right. dad Yeah, <laughs> my dad right. said my dad said to Roger, Hey, can we uh get a raise? And Roger was like, Nope. You signed the contract. Really? <laughs> you know? Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, in '94, I was making a hundred grand, and uh, finished again. Won three or four races that year. Finished third in the championship. And uh, at that time, the tobacco industry was getting clamped down on, and Roger was going to have to scale back. That was the year we had me, Al Jr., and Emerson, three Marlboro cars. We finished one, two, three in the championship. The tobacco industry, as you know, back in the NASCAR days, things were tightening up with the government. And Roger came to me, my dad, and said, hey, I'm going to have to cut back to two cars, but I'm going to put Paul at another team uh, with Gary Bettenhausen with a year-old car, and uh, I'm going to put him there until Emerson decides to retire. And my dad went back and read through the contract, and there was a clause in the contract that, you know, he couldn't put me in another team or another or or, or another car without both of us okaying it. So my dad went back to Roger. I, I I had an had an offer from Newman. I had an offer then to go to Formula One, and I did it. And uh, my dad went back to Roger and said, "Hey, you, you know, we don't really want to drive any year old car for for Bettenhausen." And, uh, and Roger said, well, you have to. And he goes, well, there's – my dad goes, well, there's, this cla- there's the clause in the contract, and you signed the contract. It says you can't do it, <laughs> right? So uh, I didn't drive for, for – I signed a contract to drive for Newman Haas 
for 95 and I went to Newman Haas and drove for Paul Newman and drove, drove for Budweiser and I won a couple races that year. Uh, they didn't have me testing for him. That was the year in 95 that Penske didn't qualify for the Indy 500. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was hauling butt around Indy qualified at 235, and, uh, they didn't make the show. And then I, I was walking down the pit lane at Indy after qualifying and, uh, ran into Roger and Roger came up to me in the pit lane and he said, uh, Hey, I, I need you to come to my office to, tonight after, after <laughs> this midnight. was after qualifying was over. <laughs> it was again, another mid, another midnight <laughs> meeting. And, uh, I, I only had a one year contract with, uh, with Newman Haas. So, uh, I met, I flew up, he flew me on a private plane up to his, up to Detroit again. And I actually didn't have my dad with me this time. And, and, and I went in the office with, with Roger and Roger said, I want you to come back to the team next year. I need you back. And uh, I said, well, I, he goes, what do you want? I said, I just want the same as what everybody else is getting, you know, cause I knew that Emerson and Al were on the same contract and the same money. And, and I said, I just want to be treated the same as them. I want the equal contract. And he said, okay, done. <laughs> wow. Nice. I know. Yeah. That's, that, that's incredible. Well, you, you, you certainly proved your worth and, and hopefully you got your worth at that point. And, uh, Unfortunately, as we're running out of time here, you know, we could probably talk for another couple hours, but so it, well, we'll have to, we'll have to do a state, a stage two interview. Yes. So <laughs> how, continue. Yeah. So why don't we do that? Can you, can you talk for a few more minutes here? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Let, let's fast forward though a little bit. I mean, you would eventually rack up 31 wins, 74 podiums, 25 poles, but there was a real controversial ending to the 2002 Indy 500. Can we go there? Do you want to talk about that? Just uh, uh, Maybe I, I want to continue the story here with Penske, how I got I got fired in the end. Okay. <laughs> Let's do yeah, that. It was a pretty, pretty interesting story. And then, then we can, then we can jump ahead to, to that. Beautiful. So I, I, uh, I re-signed with Penske. I come back and, and Carl Haas was pretty bummed out because he wanted to re-sign me. And, and uh, I come back in 90, 96 and uh and the car their car in 96 wasn't wasn't a very good car it was a bit of a struggle on ovals and on road courses and i didn't win any races in 96 and then uh 97 was came and the uh they designed a new car and it was a really really fast car it was a bullet on on ovals like this thing was unbeatable i, I started off the season I won the first three races in a row. We we had three ovals in a row, and I won won all three of them and had a big points lead. I won at St. Louis. I won at Nazareth. I won in Rio, and uh, built up a big points lead. And then we got onto the road and street courses. And then with that car, it really liked to be stiff and low to the ground and have the underwing and the floor right on the ground, which was perfect for for ovals and super speedways. But then. When you had to raise the car, mic up off the ground and put soft springs on it, you know, you softer your springs, the higher you got to raise the car so it doesn't bottom out on the ground. Once you had to raise the car up, the the underwing was not very efficient and it, it the downforce level wasn't very good and it was just a handful on the street courses and um, we raced in my hometown in Toronto and I I had a really I drove my guts out in this race. Like I literally drove as hard as I've ever driven in my life. And I finished like 11 and I was not very happy with the car and, 
said said on the radio that the car was junk and you know roger was mad at me after the race and <laughs> so uh he, he didn't enjoy you telling everybody the yeah car was it junk. was just yeah it yeah. was just a struggle and i ended up finishing third in the championship and then uh, one day we were testing we were doing this test at this little track in in michigan a place called gingerman and uh it was just some country club track. It wasn't even a proper racetrack, but we tested for like three days there. And then one on the third day, this tra- unmarked transporter comes in. And then I, I, I can see it's, it's, it's not Penske's because Penske's transporters are all polished stainless and black. And, you know, they all look the same. This was like an unmarked. And then I realized it's one of Ray Hall's semis and out of the, of the, trailer comes a brand new Reynard, you know, it had a Mercedes motor in it, which was what I was running at the time. And then we're on lunch break and the team says, Hey, all right, we're going to pour a seat in this car and we're going to make a foam seat and you're going to drive this car this afternoon just to see, uh, see what it feels like. So right, I'd been on, running around this track testing for two and a half days now. And, uh, just throwing tires at it, throwing tires at it, throwing tires at it, trying to do, you know, make the car faster. And so I get in this Reynard and it had a baseline setup on that Ray Hall had put on it and says, okay, we're going to try this car. Right. So I go out in the car and I go out one lap, come in, they check, make sure there's no oil leaks and things like that. And then I go out on my first run the first five laps, I go two tenths quicker than I've gone in two and a half days. Oh my car. God. <laughs> you know, and then we throw a new set of tires on it and I go like eight tenths quicker than I've been in two and a half days. And then what at the very end of the day, they put on a set of Firestone tires because it was, we were running good years and the Firestone had gotten into the series then, and they were the tire to have we throw on a set of Firestones and I go, I go a second and a half quicker than I'd gone, gone in two and a half days. Right. In literally 20 laps in this car. So we get down to the end of the end of the year and we're at the last race at Laguna Seca and Roger pulls me into the, into the hauler. And you know, the, there's, I remember there's, he had his lawyer there and it was a, Dan Luganbuehl was there, and he said, "What do you think we should do next year?" And I said, "Well, I said I think we should get that Reynard and Firestones next year with with your motors, and we win the championship." Okay, we'll call you in a couple weeks. We'll start testing. While well, the phone the phone rang one day, and it was my manager, and my manager says, "Hey, I got a call from Roger, and he said he wants you to come to San Diego and meet me in San Diego for lunch. He's got a sponsor." meeting he wants us to come to but it didn't sound it didn't sound right to me <laughs> right so i'd get on the next flight to san diego and i go my manager picks me up at the at the airport and we because he lived in san diego and we go to this hotel and we go up in this suite and literally mike i was in and out of that room in three minutes i walked in the room and there was there was no roger there was roger's lawyer a guy named larry, larry bluth was his name i don't know if you remember him or not no nah, i never dealt with him but uh, I walked in the room and they said, uh, "You're fired. Uh. You don't want to. You don't want to drive our, our Penske car and chassis. And uh, it's 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 in. You know, I think you should go find a Reynard and Firestones to drive." And my my 
my manager said, well, you can't do that. We got three. I had a five-year contract. He said, we got three more years on our contract. He goes, well, you know, go ahead and try to sue us then. But it wouldn't, wouldn't be a very good idea. <laughs> Jeff, so, is, uh, is that left, one of those left, just yes. business? That's a very familiar-sounding conversation, Paul. <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> so this was this was after the season was over. So there's no rides anymore. Like all the rides, the silly season was over. There was nothing nothing out there. The first person we called, I called Jerry Forsythe because he had been courting me to drive for him for, for quite a while because he wanted me to drive for players. After Jacques Villeneuve left to go to Formula One, he wanted me to – drive for him and i called him and he said ah, i just signed patrick carpentier and i i don't have any space for you and then i we called barry green and uh he didn't he was only going to run one car with with dario and uh he said well let me let me let me call you back and so literally within within a few hours he talked his sponsor cool into uh doing a second car and i got i got signed to to barry green and i drove drove for for cool for the next six years well what an outstanding turn of events that was yeah you got, got fired in, in a matter of a few minutes in the uh well it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't outstanding I, I mean it was it was great that i got that opportunity but i took a major a major haircut and salary yeah well <laughs> i think what i mean by that is just you know when Jeff and I started this show, one of our first conversations we had about him and the radio business, me and the race world, I said, do you ever notice when somebody fires you, they just tell you, nothing personal, man. It's just business. Yeah, we need to go in a different direction. Yeah, it's not it, personal. Yeah. yeah, right. Tell that to my family. Yeah, so <laughs> about everyone, about every guest we've had on this show has had that a one or two stories like this. And it's just – but the nice part is you were able to recover from that – what I call quick departure to, and and correct me, are you saying, we'll go back to that Penske conversation for a second. After the race that day, when you told them they needed the, uh, the other chassis and Firestones, did they ask you what you thought, or did you just go and say, hey, you need to get Ryan No, Bowl. they said, what do, you th what do you think we should do next year? And I get I get it now, like at the time, I'm still, I'm a young kid. I'm All I'm thinking about is myself yeah. and winning races, right? I'm not thinking about, Penske cars that has 300 employees. I'm not thinking about Roger's relationship with Goodyear for the last 40 years. I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about those things. All I'm thinking about is how am I going to win races, right? right. So yep. what do you want to do next year? Well, I, I think we should get that Reynard with the Firestones, right? So that means Roger laying off his employees at Penske cars and, and, and ending a relationship with Goodyear that he's had for 30 years. Right. So, you know, that was, basically they're out they came back to me and said look you don't want to drive our car you know uh, these are our sponsors and you don't want to be involved with that you go you go you go do that then yeah you know isn't it a shame how things like that i mean somebody looked at me and says what do you think we should do well just joe you know hey we get this car and this <laughs> then you're fired over <laughs> no you asked me what i thought it's right? not how, yeah. what we need you to know, do wasn't, it's, it's it wasn't to like it was a, it wasn't like it was an argument or a right. fight i was just like you know, they were asking me a question. What do you think we should do? And, you know, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, I get, I get his, I get, I get his perspective. Now in the moment I was like, I was very upset, pissed off yeah. with Roger over it, you know, cause I would have liked to have continued with him. But, you know, it, I, as I back this story up, they continued on at Penske racing with, with, they built a new car for two, two more years 
and they struggled around in the back and really ran poorly for for two years. They they hired Andre Ribeiro to replace me, and they had Al Jr. And then Andre Ribeiro was out; he wasn't doing very well. And they had a bunch of different drivers in and out of the car that that, and they they struggled around for two two years. And then after two years of that, Roger went and decided to go with a with a Reynard with Firestones, and they hired Jill DeFerrin and Castro Neves. And they and Gilles DeFerrin won two championships back to back with the Reinhardt oh, Fire. So it ended up recirculating itself after that. Yes. Yeah. And then when the first when Rod, I, I I'll never forget this because I, I finished uh, third or fourth in the championship in uh, when I was driving for Cool in in, in two thousand. And uh, Roger won the championship with Gilles DeFerrin, and I got up in my speech and. This was the first year that they had the Rainer, and I said, "Hey, Roger, I just want to. I'm glad you finally took my advice and switched switched to the Rainer with the Firestones." <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul Tracy, you've had an incredible career, and I would love to if you, if you're up to, let's do another one of these shows because we're only like half three. Yeah, we're gonna have to do career. segment. We're gonna have to do segment two. We'll yeah. do that down the line, though. That's fine. Yeah, no so, problem. I'd love to do it with you. Yeah, well, we really enjoy your time. Anything that we, I mean, we're, we're missing your career, we but we're running out of time. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't even gotten into my little stock car soiree yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, trying out for Childress and well, you let, know, Indy 500 and all that stuff. We, we'll have to do another one. Yeah, give us something uh, that we can end this segment on, this episode, that we can come back to. What 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 is a good good way to break this, Jeff? Because well, I man, think we Paul still Tracy's need to we career. need to talk about that 2002 Indy 500. We need to talk about his uh, his role as an analyst at NBC Sports. I mean, you know, those are all good things. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that'll 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 take a whole another show. There you go. And I want to talk about when he became the wrestler up in Canada. He he had the fans right. were were cheering or booing for him, and he and then did, by did, then we'll know who won the SRX championship. Yes. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Tracy, thank yeah, you I'm, so very much. And go to go to Sharon, Ohio this weekend, win the SRX race, have the best finish you can in points, and we'll get this rescheduled for our, another schedule for a continuation show. Very soon, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to go this weekend. Super big event with you know Chase Elliott's Grayson and Blaney and like how how cool is it that a 53 year old retired guy gets to race against a cup champion? Well, yeah, that's that's some bu- that's some bucket list list stuff. Yeah. And throughout your career, you've raced against guys named Crazy Tony. I mean, everything <laughs> everything comes full circle. So <laughs> we've been talking to Paul Tracy. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, uh, powered by Race Pass, a NASCAR digital media. We'll see you next week.